There's a difference between creative and creating. While the former modifies a concept, the latter produces one. And for some people, the latter highlights a drive to create, to make something. Even when people lack resources, they're still able to put something together. As lacrosse musician Alex Spiegel explains, it's a simple observation that opened him to recording. When I was a kid, I learned that if you plugged in a pair of headphones to the microphone output of a, of a stereo, that it became a microphone. So that's how I started recording, and I would, over, I would record using that. For him and others, it's more than being a precocious teenager who has a natural ability. Grading is about taking the next step, being more than the person who moves from project to project yet never seems to get anything accomplished, or the neighbor who has lofty dreams but can't get past daydreaming. For Eau Claire filmmaker and lacrosse area native Steve Dayton, there's a meeting space between ambition and actualization. It's all about the goal that you have in for the, the project itself, is that you can't go in, you have to go into the project with the right reasons. Is it's not going, you can't go in with fame and money and everything. You don't want to, it's not about other people. It's about what you want to do and what are you willing to do to push yourself to create this project. Between my first feature and Give, it wasn't just sitting around. It was building stuff. It was doing little projects and maybe it's doing stuff and not showing something. So if you're making a cabinet, don't think that you're going to go get hired to make cabinets for a bunch of people. Start making them in your in your garage and keep honing in your skills. That's how you that's how you complete projects is you you just do them. With the advent of technology and the internet, it appears that anyone shouldn't be pretty much able to do anything. Recording software comes preloaded on your computer. Your new phone has a camera light years ahead of consumer models from 10 years ago. Many impossible projects are explained in condensed 10-minute YouTube videos. With these limitless possibilities to enter into these new creative landscapes, Steve and Alex's work on the independent feature film Give poses classic questions among developing maker movements and DIY cultures in general. How many people actually take the next step and, better yet, why do people keep creating when success is limited? Even as a child, Steve always gravitated towards movies. It's not uncommon. Star Wars and Muppets in Space, colorful products like these are designed to attract kids. It's their job. Get more kids and get more money. It's simple math. When Steve was a teenager, it wasn't contemporary films like Billy Madison or Clueless that got his attention. It was a movie that his older brother brushed aside. And he was like, oh, The Godfather is a classic. And then he watched it and he was like, it was all right. And I was like, oh, I'll watch it. And then I was like, just the way that it was lit, the way that the story goes, the characters, I was just like, these are the kind of movies that I want to make. Steve was now hooked. He put himself behind the camera whenever he could. High school projects, birthday parties, or family reunions. Nothing was trivial. Everything became an opportunity. I think it's when you're putting a camera in your hands and you're starting to think, like, you're shooting this and you're like, oh, this looks terrible. Like, yeah. why does this look terrible? What? And how do you, oh, I put a light? Like, I need a light because this is movie making. So you put it right on their face and you're like, this looks terrible. How, like, how does this all work? And so you start messing around with things. 
And back then, you know, we didn't have the internet, so it's just doing it and figuring it out as you go. So, looking for a new opportunity after high school, Steve enrolled in Western Wisconsin Technical College's media production program. He stepped into the program at an interesting time, when technology shifted from analog devices to digital platforms. The early 2000s was an opportunity for Steve to develop his chops. On the whole, his love for video was a solid foundation for contributing to an organization as a media producer. Education, businesses, government agencies, marketing firms, and the film industry all use effective communicators to hit a target market. If anything, he could spend two years at the tech. And when it was all done, if he didn't like making films, he could work at a local TV station or an advertising agency running a camera. But, as Steve points out, the program only increased his interest in the film industry. And then, but there was still that calling of, hey, I want to go make it in the movie business. And so I toured a couple film schools and like quickly realized, like, I don't think that they have, I don't think they have what I'm looking for. I'd rather just take that money and move out to L.A. And moving to California wasn't an empty threat he said to scare his parents. It was a real option. In his early 20s, recently married, no children, some money, and a big dream. If not then, when would be the perfect time? So, he set his sights for Hollywood. The major motion picture industry isn't designed for entertainment. It's designed to make money, a lot of money. And we're not talking about a couple billion dollars. We're talking about $40 billion annually. That's more than the GDPs of Greenland and Iceland combined. The industry has many moving parts. They're actors, agents, directors, screenwriters, producers, executive producers, talent scouts, set designers, marketing firms, publishing deals, and the list goes on. If you actually watch a movie's end credits, there's a reason it's over five minutes long. For a machine designed to make money while entertaining you, there's a long list of jobs. And near the absolute bottom of this list, that's where Steve found himself. Okay, hold the work, here we go. Rolling sound and quiet. Look into the lens, too. It's more about filling, production assistants fill in the pieces of, of work that nobody else wants to do. So there's two kind of general production assistants. There's a office PA or a on-set PA. And I always, I'm terrible with office work, so I never wanted to answer phones and, and work on contracts. What I wanted to do is lock down sets. So it's like silly things like, hey, we're shooting down this hallway. We need somebody to stand here so that random people don't walk through the shot. Many of these jobs aren't glamorous. They're entry level. And that's to be expected. L.A. is filled with young, talented people who are green to the industry. As a Wisconsin native, he's not Hollywood lineage. So as long as Steve wasn't doing anything morally compromising, he was game. And he did hit a few rough spots, like getting yelled at by George Weiner of Spaceballs fame for not cleaning George's trailer well enough. And a literal low point, although he finds it funny. They, It was a movie that I was working on that they had brought in like a ditch digger to make a grave and they're like this is not this not deep enough send some PAs and so I had to put it get a grab a shovel and just dig it out so that we could do a shot of somebody getting buried or something like that I don't even remember after two years Steve was moving from project to project pretty well although many of his jobs were still as a PA he was meeting people making some good connections and getting tied to some larger productions 
while on the set of the horror comedy How to Be a Serial Killer, Steve had a moment of clarity. I was working on an independent movie that had spent like $2 million, and I was looking at this saying, this is not a $2 million movie. Like, I can make something for five grand in lacrosse, and it would be a better movie than that. So I start thinking of ideas, and then this idea of a zombie punk band came to mind of what happens if the evil music agent brought back a, a band and and but they were zombies and it was it took place on the first night of their opening show and what would happen in that situation and so i just started kind of writing out the treatment of that and then the more i did that i was like you know what i think i can i don't want to stay out here for the next 30 years hoping for a chance to do that i'm just going to go and make something and if i have to work another job while i do it i'm going to do that so the Dayton's packed, said their goodbyes, and made their journey back to Wisconsin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, guys. Great, great work today. A lot of stuff. Thank you very much. Besides the geographical and the demographical differences between Los Angeles, California, and La Crosse, Wisconsin, there's a pretty big logistical difference. People don't come to Wisconsin to be movie stars. It's simple. The industry, the connections, the talent was built in California. And this simple fact was becoming more apparent to Steve. I think the biggest thing that's different between maybe Los Angeles and other locations around the world is, or in the United States, is just that everybody who's working in L.A. is there to make movies and understands, like, sometimes it's a month on and then it's four months off. And so when coming back to the Midwest and trying to, uh, you know, ask people to take two weeks out of their jobs and work 12 hours a day is it's a tough ask and you just have to kind of work around people and I always say that filmmaking is kind of the ultimate team sport so just trying to figure out what works for everybody and and do it like that. Hollywood taught him more than teamwork. It taught him how to be resourceful and to use the tools he had. If he needed a punk band why not use a local one? So he opened up his computer and went to a trusted place, MySpace. You know, I, I had that idea of a punk band, and I had a specific sound that I was looking for. So back in the day, I, I searched MySpace for local bands in the lacrosse area because I knew that's where I was going to be. And I found a couple, and then the disabled came up, and I was like, all right, these guys are perfect, and I love this music. So, like, that just amped up the whole thing for me. I was like this is going to be way better with the disabled. So I reached out to the band and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about, which is always such a scary thing because you don't, you know, it kind of sounds like a, it's a little creepy just to be like, hey, I'm, I'm making a movie. Do you guys want to be a part of it? And uh, so they were game and, you know, we kind of had some conversations and I told them my plans and we went from there. And for Alex, Steve came at the right time. The craziest thing I think looking back is that it didn't seem weird at all. There was just a lot of stuff happening with Disabled at that time. Um, and honestly, at that time, someone saying, hey, we're going to put your music in the movie, it was like, okay, fine. It, it really wasn't a lot of thought behind it. Basically, and we did an original song for um, Steve. It also should be said that we built a, the only kind of underground studio in lacrosse at that time. Basically, every band that we were playing with was recording there. So to, to do another recording on just a Saturday afternoon, which is what it was, wasn't very strange at all. It seemed super normal. Um, 
There was no anxiety. There was no concern. Um, we really just said, okay, did it, fine. Just another thing, another Saturday. To be honest, it really wasn't just another Saturday. Alex developed his skills as a drummer in punk bands throughout high school and college. During this time, he was getting restless, not necessarily with the music, but with the formula of three-piece rock bands in general. So, he set his sights on, let's say, a more ambitious project. After seeing Zardos, a 1974 sci-fi fantasy epic starring Sean Connery, from a certain point of view, the film is a disaster or a misunderstood masterpiece, with the movie's biggest impact being Connery's questionable SNM pre-He-Man costume. Alex didn't want to remake the movie. He wanted to rescore it. He had a studio, he had an idea, so he had nothing to lose. I seriously thought it would be fun to just take a movie and, and redo the score, like do a joke score. And, and doing that, which I did it, which I won't show anyone, it was like a tremendous amount of work. Like, there's a reason why people don't do that. It's, it's incredibly complicated and no one would ever do it. And it's not really a joke at a certain point. So when Steve approached the disabled, Alex scaled down his ambitions. With pop punk, we just did the band. It was just the band. Like even the song that we did was something that the band could have done. I always am looking for that next hurdle. You read stories about like um, like Trent Reznor or whatever moving into that um, new genre and, and and doing it well and successfully, obviously. Um, and you're always like, well, what what if I was given that opportunity? What would it look like? Steve got an a la carte with the Disables catalog. This was good. The band was 100% independent and self-financed, so there wasn't ASCAP or record label lawyers to deal with. Hollywood taught Steve this. Cinema is a complex business. A lot of things going, back then, you know, 10 years ago, there's a lot of things going on. Everybody has, everybody has their projects that they're working on, so everybody's writing a script, everybody's got shorts that they're making, everybody's trying to move up, and so I ran into that. And I was one of those guys, I was always like, oh, I'm, ma- I'm making shorts too, and I'm writing my own stuff. Um, so everybody's talking a lot about it. Um, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of legit money out there, and there's a lot of, you know, I was working on stuff, tiny budget stuff, but that's still like $500,000 somebody's doing to make a movie, and then... Back then, they're running it through the system and getting distributors and able to make money off of that. So that's that's the kind of stuff that gave me, like, if these people are doing it and they're spending a ton of money, what happens if I bring my price point down and, but keep the quality the same or even better? Is there a market for me? It's Well, it's not all on that director's shoulder. So they'll have a producer who's who is, you know, they'll attach other people to it. Mm-hmm. You know that you'll have a cinematographer. And then if you attach talent, that's why talent is such a big thing with it, is if you can attach talent, it's, uh, you know, show business is all about the business. So if you can, you know, maybe you'll hire this guy to do it for 30 million, but you already know that with these stars uh, stars attached, you're gonna be making your 30 million back. It's estimated that pop punk zombies cost well under $10,000. To put this number into perspective, carpool karaoke costs around $2 million per 30 minute episode. Needless to say, Steve had limited resources. Filmed at the local club, the warehouse, with local actors, many of whom, if not all, worked for free, Steve hit the ground running. He wrote the story, so directing the actors wasn't an issue. After filming wrapped up, he switched gears and began to edit the movie. 
As producer and executive producer, he was calling the shots, so he had creative control. And he was able to find a distributor, Brain Damage Films, who has distributed such works as Strip Club Massacre and Incantation, starring Dean Kane, who you may remember from the 90s television show Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, or when he dated Brooke Shields during the 80s. On January 10th, 2011, Hot Punk Zombies hit the screen, and Steve completed a goal that eluded him since he was a teenager. He made his own feature film. I love zombies. I hate zombies! The thing about B-movies, or low-budget films in general, is simple. It's a tough game. Working under budget has produced classics like Night of the Living Dead, and even modern critical darlings like Blue Ruin. In fact, the box office powerhouse Guardians of the Galaxy is masterminded by James Gunn, who started with Troma Entertainment, a titan in B-movies. Adding these factors together, B-movies have made one of the strongest fan bases in cinema, and these people commit time and money through conventions and film festivals. Oftentimes, though, B-movies have some of the toughest critics, and Steve was about to see this. Ain't It Cool News wrote, The makers of pop-punk zombies had a good idea, but lacked the skill or talent available to pull it off. In the end, what you get is something that feels put together by a bunch of friends in love with the genre, not by professionals. And Horror Society was slightly more forgiving. I won't completely discredit the movie because of this, and I'll recommend this movie to zombie lovers because it's not bad, but don't go in thinking it's a masterpiece. These reviews may sound harsh, or at least not encouraging to the viewers or to the team behind the film, but Pop Punk Zombies actually got reviewed. And on top of that, viewers even called out some of the critics. User Russell Zoloff on IMDb said, critics are the same people who buy a secondhand Hyundai off a of Craigslist and complain that it doesn't run like a new BMW. These are the type of people who, as employers, complain that they don't get devoted, professional attitudes from their minimum wage employees. And none of the criticism appeared to stop Steve. It may have been discouraging, but Pop Punk Zombies does everything a B-movie should. It's cheap, dirty, and fun. Still, he was getting burned out by the process. You gotta make you gotta make stuff for yourself. So you can't make stuff for other people who are going to like if people love it, if people hate it, it's the same thing. You have to bring what you want from that project and that own that. Um, so there was a lot of time where I was like, I don't know if I want to make anything anymore. I needed some time to forget what that that pain is really like before you can actually step back out on that stage and make something new. Still, there was something more innocent that stopped Steve from jumping into his next feature, adulthood. Married and starting a family, he had to do a priority check, so he took his talent elsewhere and continued to work in media production, doing commercials and marketing campaigns for area businesses. And that should have been that. I mean, he made a movie, and he got it distributed, and he accomplished a goal, until one day, he had an idea. It came out of my two greatest fears, my my fear when I was a kid and my fear as an adult. Fear as a kid is being taken away. I remember like laying in my room thinking, is somebody going to steal me? Are aliens going to come and, and take my body? And just ha- that was my fear. And then as an adult, you know, losing a child would just be devastating, obviously. And just the pain and loss, like what is the greatest pain and loss that you could feel as a human? 
Steve continued to develop his idea for Give, and he wasn't going to play it safe and stick to a traditional story. The premise of Give focuses on a husband and wife whose daughter is taken away by an unknown force, and then the slow disintegration of their lives. It's not a clear-cut abduction thriller like Taken or Misery. He really wanted to push himself, not only as a filmmaker, but also as a storyteller. So Steve mixes elements of sci-fi and art house into the film, which pushes audiences into unfamiliar territories. And so the there's kind of like a fractured storytelling that goes into Give that kind of mimics the thought process of our main character, is that it's this battle of how do you deal with extreme loss as a human being and how do you find answers in looking not inward but in other people and finding empathy in other people's problems and and just kind of building from there of how how you can actually get through tough tough things and so it's more of that concept of hey we're all going to face some terrible loss. We're going to all face terrible pain. How do we get through that? Steve also had to contemplate how he's going to make another feature. It's not the same as taking a family on a weekend vacation, but he had to act like it was. In other words, he had to count his resources against his responsibilities. I kept working. I kept uh, kind of building my, my knowledge. So overall, I just am better I'm a better filmmaker than I was when I made the the first movie. And then technology kind of came along. Um, I had bought a new camera, and I I kind of had the idea of, well, let's I have this camera. Let's shoot a, let's shoot a new feature. And it was a lot of the same things that I went into Pop Punk Zombies that I did with Give. Is like, all right, it can't be too much time. So let's let's take three days, and we'll just do really long days, and we'll shoot as much as possible. So I did the majority of the principal photography within those three days, and then would pick up, you know, random shots for to help the story along as I saw fit over this last year. Well, three days may seem reasonable. It's only the beginning. Making an independent film isn't easy. Among pre-production, location scouting, and other logistical concerns. There's other factors as well, like availability, overhead, and your day job. Even simple factors become issues like who's going to act in the movie. It may seem as simple as going to the local community theater and asking around, but without an inroad there or at the local college, Steve's request looks more like an abduction episode of Forensic Files than a director wanting to make a movie about abduction. Still, he was able to cast pop-punk zombies actor Jason Anderson as the lead, while giving smaller roles to family members and other friends. He was able to round out the cast when a friend of a friend recommended Susie Murte as the final lead. As filming started, he began to notice something special. Bringing people along for this weird journey and this weird experience is, I always find it funny that to try to convince people to come and work on the movies is kind of challenging sometimes which you know a lot of people are like oh that sounds fun but it does take time and it it does take effort when people when we start making something and we start shooting there's it it sounds silly but there's like this magic that happens that they you kind of lose track of time you lose track of the world and we're kind of playing in this make-believe land i've seen it all the time with uh Specifically with this movie, I had uh, I had a guy who came and worked crew for one day, and it was our second day shooting, and me and the main actor we're all, we're already pretty tired, and this guy, you know, 
after showing up a couple hours, he's ready to go. He's ready to go for another 13 hours and we're kind of dragging. And so it's just that spirit that of him bringing his energy to the process that it's just, it's so exciting. Steve rode with this energy after principal shooting ended and ran with it while editing. Still, he had a wall. Because one of the things that I originally thought about doing was to score myself. That is an awful idea. That is, that would have, we would not be talking for sure. But um, you, sometimes you have to bring in people who are going to raise the project up. You know, me thinking about doing the score and saying, no, that's not, not happening. And then a couple people in mind, and I was like, Alex, uh, you know, we kind of, we stayed in loose contact, but I, you know, I was watching him. I just, I sent him a message and said, Hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And he's like, yeah, send me the movie. And so I sent him a movie. So right from the gate, I think he roughly knew what he was getting into. Even Alex will admit he knew roughly what to do. The first thing that I learned after, I think I did four starts. So I would do like, a, like a run of one or two songs and present it to Steve. And Steve would go, uh, okay. And I was like, no, no, you like this. This is good. And, and then because I didn't know anything about movie scores. And the first thing I was going to do is kind of like a, like a, um, velvet underground or like, a like, like, a, like a noise sort of thing where they were kind of like, like, um, drums from like a tribal sort of thing and then just feedback guitar that that was basically what it was going to be and steve was like no like that if that's what it's going to be is you're not going to do it and and i realized at that point i really wanted to do it it was something that i wanted to do so then i started diving in like okay i'm not going to be able to do what i'm used to So, so that was the first leaving the ego at the door like like this is now a job Um, It's not what I think is cool, it's what Steve thinks is cool. Leaving your ego at the door can be difficult. Especially with independent projects, it's usually one person's vision, supported through his or her own resources. Alex, just coming off his first solo project, Union Wheels, did everything independently. He built a home studio, recorded all the instruments, and did self-distributing. Now, getting a chance from Steve, his goal of scoring a movie wasn't a daydream. It was an objective, with real outcomes. So, after Steve rejected his first score concept, Alex started back at square one, and he realized it was a good thing. I did the thing that I probably should have done at the beginning, and I'm like, well, what do you want? And he's like, this is what I want. And he put me down this road that I I don't think, if I told you what he wanted, I don't think that you would say, yeah, that's what you created. But it was basically gospel meets sci-fi. Going into this movie and all this stuff, you, I even told Steve in a conversation, I'm like, to do this correctly, I have to leave my ego at home, and I have to realize that this is not my movie, this is your movie, and uh, basically do what he wanted. And I think what he wanted was the correct thing to do. Alex admits that a gospel meets sci-fi score isn't exactly in his wheelhouse. Although a fan of sci-fi literature, his biblical retelling of Stranger in a Strange Land isn't too helpful in this case. His conversations with Steve centered on the thematic undertones of the movie. What instruments would fit with the theme of the movie? You know, it would, like one of the things we settled on was it wouldn't be 
fancy instruments. It would be very lo-fi instruments. And we try to do like instruments that would relate to gospel music, though not necessarily gospel music, but also bringing in that element of sci-fi. So the soundtrack itself, basically there's two types of songs throughout the soundtrack. Sci-fi indicating that we don't know what's going on here. And then there's more classical piano pieces with strings. I didn't want to start out with those instruments. I thought they were cliche. Like, I thought that I was kind of doing what you would expect. What I've learned going down the road is that there's a reason why people use those things. There's a reason why strings are in most movies. Blazing guitars are playing are make it so it's difficult to hear dialogue. Like, drums are awesome for a beginning of an action movie. They're not awesome for a sensitive motif. The back-and-forth banner between Steve and Alex wasn't as dramatic as one could assume. As Steve recounts, it was an enjoyable conversation between two like-minded people guided by a single purpose. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a softer approach. As I'm not very... Alex, this is terrible. It's more of a him reading my messages and reading, like, yeah, I think this works. And he's like, I don't feel like this works. And I'm like, yeah, okay, give it another shot. <laughs> but like he said, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, there's four, three scores out there that no one's ever going to listen to. Yeah. But, which are also very impressive, but just might not have been the right fit. So, and like he said, that it's not, it was weird because I was realizing I was losing the, like this, I know, this project you're doing for free with, it's going to have minimal fanfare. I was realizing like, I'm not doing good enough of a job. Like, like that is a, you know, there's a, there's certain types of personalities and there's a lot of personalities that be like, well, fuck, I'm not doing this. Like, okay, dude, you know, but I was like, first I was like, Steve wants to do a movie. He's going to let me try to do it. Okay. And then it was like, no, I really want to do this. Like. I, again, it was this. I would never say this is me, ever. But at a certain point, I was like, I'm gonna fucking do this. Like this is gonna get done. Like no matter what, if I have to learn to play piano better to get this done, I'm learning to play piano better. My viewpoint was, I might not ever get this opportunity again. Like when I said, uh, when you have to leave your ego at the door, when you do that, it kind of stops being fun. Like it, you know, because I thought this would be easy. You know, no big deal. And then I realized, like, no, you have to learn how to, you know, if you can't play piano well enough and you have an idea, you have to get someone to play the piano or you have to simplify your idea. And, you know, I, I didn't want to make a score that's kind of traditional. And I think in a lot of ways it is. When I realized that, when I realized it wasn't me, it was the project and that I have to do things that I'm not comfortable with, that's going to take a lot of time and using instruments and tools to, to do it. And that I, I would never say that that score is a reflection of me. It's a reflection of the movie. I did a job. Um, the, the main focus was I might not ever get this opportunity again, so might as well give it a shot. Alex's drive to push past his own abilities amplifies Steve's drive as well. Their momentum isn't an isolated event. In fact, even as they talk about Give today, Steve and Alex's conversation mirrors not only the dialogue between creative personalities, but also the audience's journey as they watch give. Like when you listen to the soundtrack, it's in the order of the, the movie, of course. If you go farther down, there's more development. And then there's the last song, which is like 
100 million instruments and all this kind of stuff. There's more development throughout. And I started with the first song, but I liked it so much I couldn't go back. But I understood the score more in the middle. So what you should do is start with, like, the third and fourth song and then the fifth and sixth song. And then, the you know, movie scores have gone in the way that end credit songs are kind of considered cliche now. Like, nobody does that anymore. No one has, like, the Star Wars ending credit song. That's considered lame. This one has one of those songs. <laughs> but the... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, all right, sorry. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah, what's mm-hmm. up? Uh, what do you... Th- after saying that, you know, the, the beginning of the score as it goes, gets more developed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that matches the the movie itself, that as the movie goes, it gets a little bit more developed? Well, that was the second part of his question. It's like, well, how do you figure out what to do? Right. Um, I, yeah, that is actually the least hardest part of for me. I kind of just go, I know what I want to do. Um, that's actually the fun, easy part, is just filling in all the, all, filling in all the colors. Yeah, the hard part is, I know, okay, I know basically what it's going to be as soon as I see it, and then... Then it's figuring out the thing in my head. So a lot of times I'll have it. The hard part is figuring out what's in my head, right? So it goes like, and then I have to like, and a lot of times I'm going, and that's the hard part is getting that. And then once that's done, then you just fill in the stuff. Then it's just filling in base and whatever it happens to be. Bottom and bottom and the top. What happened? I need to tell him what happened. She All she keeps repeating is she couldn't get to her. They, they went to Wood Park. I know, I know. I need you to find her. She's she's about six years old. She's about four foot. She's got long brown hair. Very petite. I, I, I don't know. Just go find her. She's there. I think they went to Wood Park. Louise, where did you go? Where did you go? What is she Hello? Yeah, I don't know. What, There's what a disadvantage to having the audience fill in the blanks. It's not easy, and it's not always successful. Looking at Give objectively, the movie goes against the green. No stars, no Hollywood backing, no multi-million dollar post-production team, and no purpose besides the intention of its creators. And to top it off, it's not an easy film to understand. It's a thinking piece, and these movies often falter with mainstream audiences. Unlike Steve's last film, which more or less followed a conventional horror plotline, Give isn't embracing that. It's a position that Steve knows. It's definitely one of those movies that you have to invest a little thought in. That while you're watching, you have to maybe daydream a little bit and think of, oh, what you know, what what's going on with these characters? What are they feeling? Why are they feeling this? Have I ever felt like that? And uh, kind of go go through the ride like that. And hopefully, uh, like you said, you only watch the first twenty minutes. But hopefully, as the movie goes on, some of those answer, some of those things get answered. Um, but I think that overall, that when people finish this movie, that some people are going to like it, some people are not going to like it. And overall, I feel like I got something from making it, which is, like I said, kind of the biggest deal. Isn't that kind of scary? Because when you want to do something that's different and difference usually is not accepted by a lot of people because they want to hear something that is commercial or part of like the cultural industry. Like you do this, you do that, verse, chorus, repeat, verse, chorus. Or with a movie, girl falls in love with a boy, they have a fight, they get over it, they get married. Or action movie, America always wins. But when you start to 
deal with like a structure that's not linear or plots that are not um, easy to digest or there isn't a clear villain or a clear hero, like that's when people can start to like not necessarily get tired with the movie, but you know, it's one of those things that a lot of the movies I do like are weird. They don't make sense. They make you think. But like you, me, and Alex, we're not like a lot of other people. There's more of them than there are us. Wasn't that kind of scary to take on with your second project to just do something that's a little bit more artistic and not something that's like the Kool-Aid for the masses? Uh, I Scary? Not really because, like I said, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm going to do. So whether you like it or not like it, I'm just going to continue making movies. But I do think – I disagree with you that there might be more people out there that do have kind of a – hunger for a different type of cinema and would really enjoy this and maybe it won't be everybody's cup of tea but um in the long run i don't want to sound like i'm so pretentious like like it or don't like it but that's that's every piece of art or every piece of every movie that's made is there's going to be people who don't like it and people who will find who will like this way better than my first movie Steve doesn't avoid critics. After working in Hollywood and on his own films, he's developed a thick skin, and it's been a necessity, a part of learning how to process negativity in general. I don't want to say, it's kind of looked down. Like, if whenever I've mentioned, it's both both places, though. Whenever you mention that you're making your own project, people kind of, like, have that, oh, yeah, really? Tell me when it's done. Sure, we'll see. We'll see how bad you fail. And it's, it's creating a community that supports each other instead of like has this jealousy of I hope their project doesn't succeed because then me not doing a project makes me feel better. Steve and Alex are part of a growing community. Evidence today more easily through YouTube, Instagram, or Etsy, DIY culture, also referred to as a maker's movement, is everywhere. On one hand, it's an exciting crossroads, a place where technology, ability, and creativity can intersect. You know, the neighbor who finished a cabinet? She posted a video of it on YouTube. Those former classmates who argue about sports? They now stream it for a few thousand followers. And those lawn ornaments you saw at a garage sale? You can also buy them online. Now, it's easy to take your ambitions and turn them onto society. On the other hand, this crossroad isn't paved in gold. In fact, you could use a gold reserve to support it. As Alex explains, it's an interesting paradox that many people struggle to manage. I mean, it's changing, like the maker movement, and more and more people, um, millennials seem to be more, uh, it's not strange to have a podcast. That's not strange at all. And I've always been surprised that people will listen to low-level podcasts about things that I can't imagine they'd be interested in. Um, There seems to be a general level towards more of a community-based art movement. I think there was a perspective that you're either in a band on a record label on the radio or you're a cover band. And there wasn't any in between, especially in like the 90s. You're either a band trying to become a band on the radio or you're a cover band. And I think there is a growing consciousness that you could be taking music or movies or painting very seriously and have never had the opportunity to make money off of it. The great artistic times in America, especially for like music was in the 60s, you know, with Dylan and all the the great musicians from that time period. It was that they were able to make money off of an art form. And the problem we're seeing now is 
it's very, very difficult to make money off of art forms with streaming and different platforms like that. There is, there is a growing understanding that just because you don't have the opportunity to make someone else money off of your art doesn't necessarily mean that your art isn't serious. And Alex's sentiment isn't uncommon. Art and money isn't an easy business. And sometimes it's easier just to take the beaten path, making something that sells. And for Steve and Alex, it's not exactly about that. It's about creating something you need to make. It's a, a tremendous amount of work to create an album and a trend, even times a million to do a movie. And, you know, there's all this stuff. You can buy a, a camera that looks amazing for a couple grand, you know, which might have cost you a million dollars before. And like, but that doesn't mean that there's a lot of movies coming out. There's a lot of TikTok videos. There's a lot of, but 99% of Instagram accounts aren't interesting and no one would consider them art. I think I think honing your craft is something way more vis- vis- visible nowadays that people are making more yeah. stuff. Steve and- would have made this movie if he had to do it on if he had to use his phone, yeah. he would have done it. And it would have been I, I it wouldn't have been a TikTok video. It would have been a for real movie. <laughs> Steve's drive to continue in all honesty adds an extra layer of complexity to give. If you think about it, Making a movie in central Wisconsin with mostly volunteers under limited resources during a short time frame while working and managing a household, it's a lot of work. And it's overwhelming at times. As Alex comes to realize, this entire process isn't this week's trend for Steve. It's his life. When I didn't know this, when he was, when he was giving me cuts, like, I, I, that was the first time I saw a movie uncut. Like it, it doesn't look like a movie. Like it's like like crazy. Like it like there's like it's like five hours long. And like I, I, I was like, this is what it's like. Like it was such a learning experience. But when I realized, like, this guy's no joke. So again, what I was saying, like, is his movie a reflection of the makers' movement from untalented schmucks having opportunity to get out their art? That's no. What this thing is like, this is the real deal. This guy's gonna make this movie anyway. And to just be allowed to pursue this is an interesting job to have. And that's what it was. it was. It was a job that my payment was that I got to be involved. Just being there and helping someone create something from a certain perspective just seems a little too ideal, a little too perfect. And we can assume that's how it should be. Look at what you can do and leave your aspirations until tomorrow. As Alex and Steve put the final touches on Give, they remind us how creating isn't limited to someone else's perspective. It's more than that. It's about people coming together and pushing one another past their ambitions. It feels like you're breaking the rules, but in times like these, we need people like this. It's that same thing where like, well, I'm gonna have to do this. Right. You know, I'm, there is no, I, and that's kind of the most interesting thing is the whole, the people that are like, they have to do it. Like no matter what, they have to do it. Well, that's like, I mean, you feel like you're breaking the rules, but we definitely need people like that. Instead of asking permission, you're creating new stuff, like, or it's just going to sit there or it's just going to be wasted. Mm -hmm. You need people to invest in themselves, invest in life. I mean, that's living, right? Is that you're going out there and you're actually doing something with your time. The entry point of making movies might be easier nowadays because cameras are more affordable. You can shoot a full movie on your, your iPhone, but, um, 
it still takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and there's still a lot of commitment that goes into it and that it doesn't have to be especially with everything going on like it can't all be in hollywood like we can be here in eau claire or in ohio or texas and you can be making stuff and you can be creating stuff and we gotta we gotta keep doing that <laughs>